listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. celebration. It's a day where we're excited that Jesus came into Jerusalem. And some people, they they really walk out the whole narrative of what happened day for day as they go through what many people call Holy Week. And that's a great exercise for people to do. I don't necessarily do it all myself, but I think that it is, uh, there's a lot of rich history there. But it all pointed towards Friday. Everything that happened with Palm Sunday pointed toward what was going to happen later that week. Yeah? It all pointed towards Jesus going to a cross. It pointed toward really the sacrifice made for our sin, where where God made a way through his son, Jesus. But what a lot of people don't know is that as Passover points towards Good Friday, Good Friday points toward a lot of other things. I want to talk just for a second about Good Friday. Go ahead and throw that slide up there, guys. Uh, This Friday, we have not talked to you about it until right now, but this Friday, we're having a Good Friday service. It's going to be at 7 o'clock, and we found that this does not need a ton of promotion because the people that want to be here are here. And it's a 60-minute service. If you've never experienced one of New Chapel's Good Friday services, I've heard from many people it's very powerful, and it's powerful for me. Uh, I think that it's going to be an enjoyable time. It's going to be 60 minutes exactly. In fact, the last time I did it, you'll be happy to know, it was 59 minutes and 30 seconds when I dismissed everybody. So... Give your pastor some snaps, you know what I mean? So uh, I'll see you Friday for that. I think that'd be a great time. But Friday, what happened? It was Good Friday, and of course, we know the cross happened there, but something else happened, and it was pointing toward Passover. Passover coincides with a lot of the Christian holidays on purpose, and it is because Jesus fulfilled many of these feasts and will be fulfilling the future ones. The feast that is being celebrated during this time of year by, by Jewish people is Passover. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what are they doing when they celebrate that? They're celebrating what God did when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he's celebrating the fact that the death angel sent by the enemy passed over them and they were delivered out of all of that harm's way. It was was an amazing thing. And so to this day, during this season, Orthodox Jews and even uh, some of the more evangelical style of, of Jewish people, they still celebrate Passover Uh, religiously. And and it's all pointing toward Jesus. But what's interesting about this Passover meal is that Jesus celebrated that, and that's actually the origin of communion. It's the origin of what we're celebrating today. We, We had the cup and the bread. But you'll be interested to know that they didn't just have one cup of wine. They actually had four cups that they passed around, and they would all take a drink of it, and they they shared the bread. And I'm getting kind of a funny look from some of you people just east of Sparta who are like, woo, four cups of wine, you know, like, relax, you know, that's, that's, Jewish people do that. And so, um, but, but, but it is all pointing toward what Jesus was going to do on the cross and, and the spiritual journey that he has us all on and that he's taking us through. Let me read it for us out of Exodus chapter six. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. These four different statements are the four things that they would actually, it's kind of the origin of a toast, if you will. They would raise their cup up, and they would, they would repeat these to one another, that God, he said he would deliver us out. He would rescue us, and they would celebrate these four I will statements at Passover. They're doing it this week. And so as they would celebrate these four things, it it really points toward what we've been talking about, which is a spiritual journey that God has us all on. It really is foreshadowing promises that he ratified at the cross and brought into the New Testament. And if there's promises that God has for you, church, don't you think that you ought to know about them, right? And so here's what it looks like. Go and throw that slide up there, guys. I want to show you what these four different cups look like. The first one is called the cup of sanctification. It really lines up with that salvation component. Massive. You must be saved. Then there's the cup of deliverance. It points towards being delivered. See, they got them out of Egypt, but they needed to get that slavery mentality out of their hearts. And in the New Testament, God wants to do the same thing. He wants to save you 
But ultimately, he doesn't want to just have you be born again and then act right until you die. No, he wants to change you while you're here. He wants to free you from your past. He wants to heal your body so you'd be delivered. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. And this is where God redeems you. And you're like, okay, next point. No, it's huge. See, God put a call on your life. And according to Psalm 139, it was in your mother's womb. We say, I, I had an accident. We, this kid, we, had, we weren't planning on this pregnancy. You might not have, but God knew it was going to happen. And God put a plan and call on that little baby's life. You have to know that. And so what we need to realize is that God wants to ultimately, when we accept Christ in the New Testament, right, and he's working on getting our past out of us, he wants to take our purpose and bring it back to his original purpose that he put in our lives when we were in our mother's womb. Because he's always had a plan. And he wants to redeem even the negative things that we've been through, the hardships that we face, and leverage all of that for the gospel. And that leads me to number four, the cup of Hallel. Again, some of y'all think that's a country song. <laughs> Say it slow. And, and, but uh, the cup of Hallel, it's actually the root of hallelujah, and it's the cup of praise. It really shows you fulfillment, and that's what we're going to be talking about today in a moment. You know, Passover, it pointed toward everything that communion points towards, which is salvation. And salvation in your Bible is actually the Greek word sozo. I'm going to go in the weeds for a second, so write this down, sozo. Here's what it means. To be saved, delivered, healed, or made whole. That's what sozo means. Doesn't that line up with our four concepts? Doesn't that line up with the four cups, for the four things that I will, that, that God said to his people? He wants, to, he wants to save us, deliver us, heal us, and make us whole. So anytime you read in your New Testament these words, save, savior, made whole, made well, healed, cured, safe, preserved, or to do well, it's all the time it's talking about the word sozo. And that's this, this in a word, the process that God wants to bring us through. And we've talked about these four different steps and, and the process of, yes, we're saved, and then God wants to do more in our life. But let me just say this for clarity. Next week, we are going to give the clearest, the clearest explanation of the gospel you've ever heard. And sure, this is the end of this series, but really, next week on Easter is going to be the crown on this whole series where it's, the, it's going to be so clear about the gospel. And I think that's important when we have so many people coming in from the outside, Yeah. But let me, just, let me just say this before we press on so that we're all on the same page. The good news gospel comes from a heart that knows that the tomb is empty, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he made a way where there seemed to be no way, that he wants to take those awful things in our past and heal us to make us whole, that ultimately he wants to take us on the inside and make it so our life counts and we can make an eternal difference with him. That is salvation in the process he wants to work out with his kids. Can I get an amen, New Chapel? Come on, somebody. Four cups, four promises, four steps in a spiritual journey. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and it sounds simplistic, but a lot of the truths in the Word of God, they're simple, and so simple that they sound simplistic, but this is very profound. God always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. You're like, okay, great. Next point. Hear me. It's massive. I mean, some of y'all came from a background like me where it's like, we want to get saved, and, and then we're just happy if it's like, God, could you get some of the junk out of my life, you know? I just want, I just want some of the drama gone. Can you help me with that? And, and you think that would be good enough. It's not. He wants to do that, but that, that's not. God wants to bring you to a spot in this world where you are fulfilled, where God can bring you to a spot where you can say, Lord, there's fulfillment being worked out in my walk with you. Now, Jesus is the standard for our theology, right? I mean, anything else that you're struggling with, if Jesus said it very plainly, you can go back and see what he means by it. And he puts an incredible dividing line in the Bible, John 10.10. 10. Man, we hear it almost every Sunday, but it's the thief, right? The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to steal your dreams and your relationships and your health and your happiness. That's what the enemy wants to do is, is just bankrupt your life. But Jesus says this. Here's the dividing line. My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Say it with me, in all of its fullness. That, that's, that's what God has for you. That's the call of God for you. Now, why don't we live a life of fulfillment? Profound question. 
And some of us need to ask ourselves that this week in devotion time. We need to ask ourselves that in group, like, why am I not? A couple reasons, I want you to jot these down. The first reason I see is we let our past cripple us. We let our past issues, our past hurts hold us back. Many people in the room, you're a Christian, you had your sins forgiven, but you still let your past haunt you. The time where you went too far, got caught, uh, said too much, embarrassed yourself, and, 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 and really, really exploited yourself. You, you look back to that season of your life, and you live so much of your Christian life out of that. It's, it's, it's you living this life, and you're supposed to be driving down the road, and, and you're looking in the rear view mirror instead of out of the windshield. You're focused on what's happened in the past. And I got to tell you, you can't change any of that. And God knew you were going to do it when he accepted you. So you got to get over it yourself. If he's over it, what right do you have to hold on to it? But we live out of that past. And and some of us, we're we're living life that way and we wreck and we're like, God, how did you do that? Or, Or we start rebuking every devil we can come up with. And the fact of the matter is the devil didn't have to do anything but distract you with what happened in the past. One thing he did. So all he has to do is one thing and that can haunt you for the rest of your life and he can just take you out? No way. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me and pressing toward the mark. You're gonna have to put active pressure on yourself to forget the junk that you did. You don't think that I did some crazy stuff? I did some stuff that I'd be humiliated. I thank God YouTube didn't exist when I was in high school, that there's no footage of some of the things that I did. Hallelujah! <laughs> you can still respect me, you know? Like, like, you think that I'm so different. No, I'm going to tell you, we all have the opportunity to look back there at the time, at the point of failure, at that time when we messed up, and source our life out of that. You can't do it. You have to get over it. For some of you, this is what you're living right now. Psalm 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and I'm brought low. Maybe you came from a background, even a a church background, that thought it was great for you just to be totally broken up all the time. That was was some sort of version of humility. That, That is not. You're brought low because you're remembering what you did. Ask God for forgiveness if you haven't, and move on. You can't change it. You cannot change it. I deal with this in my own life where, well, you can't do that because you, you ever deal with that? You can't do that because you're this person, or you said that, or everybody knows this about you, or they know who you were back in the day, and and you end up sourcing out of that, and you can't do it. A couple years ago, not long ago, but uh, I had a person in my life who undermined everything that I did. I mean, he said that I couldn't uh, put enough scriptures in my messages. You need more scriptures in your messages. What? Have you ever been to a Pastor Joe sermon before? There's 135 slides. Point one of every sermon is I'm going to prove God exists. You know? And here's, here's the, I mean, but, but he under, you're not using enough scripture. And, and even if you do, you should be turning every single time in your Bible to it. And, and I don't. I come up because the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly divine the word of truth. There it is. If he gives me a wild hair, I'll look it up and show you. But I'm ready, everybody. But I was undermined in that way. Always second guessed. Everything that we would do for outreach for the church, second guess. Well, aren't you just trying to build your kingdom? Are you really trying to get people saved? Well, yes, I'm trying to get people saved. That's what I'm trying to do. But here's what happens. An oversensitive conscience on somebody that has unresolved sin in their own walk with God, they end up projecting it onto you. You have people like that get in your head? And, and here's what happens. To those of us in the room like me, I have a hypersensitive conscience. I want to do the right thing. And you end up buzzing in your head about, am I doing it the best? That is, is this the, well, I guess I really wasn't the best. I guess I could have had another scripture in there. My God, that's what made my message so wordy. And so, so I've had to pull back from that person, get them out of my life because they were occupying realty. And here's what I've realized. So many people were like me. I thought I was alone. Senior pastor of a church. But you have that person in your life. Well, you can't do that because build a bridge and get over it. I'm doing it anyway. And here's what I had to finally come to. I didn't call me. God called me. Take it up with him. He called me to do this. So take it up with him. You don't like it, lump it. And let me just free some of you in the room who are like, well, what are the church people going to think? What's granny? Who cares what anybody thinks about your life? You get one life here on this earth, and it is for living. Live it before God. Live it well. But stop letting everybody guilt trip the fire out of you. You be free in Jesus' name. Amen, somebody? Hallelujah.
So we let our past cripple us. Our past hold us back. Write this one down. We let culture define us. We let culture, we let culture have a vote. Now, listen to me. We're running a playbook, and for many of us, it's not God's, and we know it. But here's where the devil really gets us, okay? Let's just say you're born again in the room. You're a Christian. If he can't get you partying and acting wild and living a sinful life, right, he'll also weigh you down. He'll weigh you down, and he'll give you a counterfeit, and it sounds like a godly thing. He'll, he'll get you to the spot where you're trying to outwork yourself and everyone else to try to be a good person. And it's things that good people do, but you'll do more and more. And that's what's gotten our culture into an awful spot right now where we have our kids playing five different sports, taking every different AP class, and they can hardly remember what their parents even look like. There's no time to be able to sit around. Just imagine what your grandparents or great-grandparents used to do in the evening. Sit around and stare at a fire, listen to it crackle, poke at it a bit, talk about their life. Maybe somebody would play the guitar. Simple, free. But we end up wigging out because we got to take that Honda minivan 90 miles down the road to get, you know, doofus over to his soccer practice. I was like, get a life. <laughs> well, he needs to get the scholars. Well, what if he doesn't get it? Because it's a lottery even if he does all this stuff and dances the dance and shows everybody how good he is. And you get stuck in a rat race of proving that you are somebody. And really check who you're proving. Are you proving that to yourself, to your parents, to somebody else that, 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 that casts some shade on your life? Are you honestly doing it because you want your kid, you, your family to advance? Because I have a theory. I'm not saying it's a word from God. It's a word from God. God's calling you to do less. Book of Job says that there's blessing in darkness. What does that mean? During this whole pandemic, you know one great blessing in it all? You could look at your spouse face to face. Go play with your kids. Remember that it's not all about how much you can do in school. That's not who you are. Selah. The enemy tries to redefine what success looks like because he wants to give a counterfeit for the blessing that God wants to bring. And many of the things that I just mentioned, God still wants to have your kids shine when they are in sports. Maybe less of them, but he wants them to shine. He wants them to, to, to learn well and get a good education. That's very difficult these days. But the counterfeit is very deceiving, isn't it? It lures us in, and, and we want to accept it. He's trying to redefine success. He's trying to redefine marriage. He's trying to redefine our personal identity. He's trying to redefine togetherness and relationships, everything about you. Why? So that you can never find God's playbook. He wants to redefine, redefine togetherness. I can't stand billboards and commercials that are saying, we're going to get through this thing together, so lock yourself up and don't talk to anybody, and if you breathe too hard or have a runny nose because it's cold outside in Michigan, then you have severe Rona, and we don't want to touch or look at you. Anybody else with allergies, like carrying a cross right now? Claritin's going out of business. <laughs> together alone? What brand is... <laughs> That's insane. You can't be together alone. Why does it take bravery to say that in 2021? <laughs> He'll talk you into thinking that you're all kinds of different things. I'll tell you, one of the most grievous things is this whole sexual revolution that's happening in our country. Sex is an identity accelerator. It's why when two get together, they get married, the two become one flesh, and it accelerates. We do a fun tradition with that where the woman takes the man's name. And now we're one. We're the Bevilacquas, yeah? Now I want you to think about that. When you start getting off into deviant sexual behavior and this wild stuff and every act that comes with it, it doubles down on identity. It makes you think that that's who you are. Now, put down your stones. I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you upset, and I'm fine with it. To those people that say that they were born that way, leave them alone. Let me tell you why. Every man in this room was born with a draw to women that's outside of the sexual boundaries that God has. So just because they were born and they feel the draw towards a sexual sin, same thing as what you were drawn to, right? It doesn't mean that they don't feel that. And it doesn't mean that the devil hasn't tried to rack them up. Here's what I would say. Avoid that debate altogether and love them. You show the love of God. Do you know what everybody wants me to do is go straight up Charlie Kirk on everybody who I love. And, and wants me to straight up to just bite somebody's neck off. 
I'm going to tell you something. We need truth out there. We need Charlie. We need Charlie. You need Pastor Joe in your life. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. But with the world, you know what they need us to do? Love the fire out of them. We're going to catch them off guard by loving them. We're going to catch them off guard by showing them the love that's in our heart, by seeing them through, by not judging them up one side and down. That's what the world does. The world eats their own. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to show them a spot where you can live in this thing fulfilled. Amen, somebody? Galatians chapter 1. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? Is God taking a vote? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. God is not taking a vote on what he believes, and his truth stands through the ages. And it would make sense to me that, a, that an ultimate supreme being that stands outside of time would write a Bible that at times would rub up against culture because it rubbed up against culture for different reasons in different decades, in different centuries. And so what we need to do is understand that we can't let culture define who we are. We can't let culture say who we are as a person. We have to let God define who we are. We need God's best, his playbook. Can I get an amen? Third thing, we write it down. We try to do it all alone. Why don't we experience God's fullness in our life? We try to do it all alone. Why, why do we do it all alone? Well, because we tried it with people, and they're a pain in the neck, you know? Like, you know what I'm saying, Everybody? You tried it with someone else, and, and you thought you were close, and you thought you were best friends, and then all of a sudden it was like one day, hey, you turn around, can you remove the knife out of my back, you know? I get it. I've been there. Got the T-shirt. But the reality is that you're not going to be your best alone. That's the devil's plan for your relationship is isolation. So you think in your head that you're together with everybody in isolation. That's a perfect plan of the enemy. What a great narrative. You thought that he was just coming after your marriage. He was not. Don't be so short-sighted. He was not just coming after your marriage. He's trying to use that to come after every relationship in your life so that you isolate yourself, so that you go alone, so you're done with people, and, and, and you start guarding every single relationship. Gang, listen to me. That, that story I told you from a couple years ago, it made me that way. I became very recluse, very isolated. I didn't want a lot of people around me. I didn't trust them, and I've had to learn we can't preach relationships and not be in relationship. You think it because I was all that in a bag of chips. No, it had nothing to do with that. And so I've had to preach relationships and believe the best and invest the best in people and lean into relationships. And you're vulnerable and, and you're subject to somebody re-implanting that knife right back where it was. But I think this, I think I'm willing to take the risk. Because without the relationships, who are we? He died for a people, amen? You'll never live fulfilled by yourself. Ecclesiastes 4, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He even had wealth. He had stuff. He had things going for him, but that didn't fulfill him. And, and here's what I'm saying with all of these three uh, thoughts and ideas of, of what really holds us back from fulfillment is this. Cup four, or the fourth step in this, this process, the spiritual journey that Jesus has for us, it deals with it. It's the cup of hallel, the cup of praise. And hallel, yes, it's where we get hallelujah from, but it's really living a life of hallelujah. A Jewish person wouldn't just think like, okay, communion, I'm taking it, or hallelujah, right? No, they think, I want to live a life of hallel. I want, I want to live a life where I'm celebrating life. I want to live this life where as I'm living it out, it's, it's big life. I'm living large. I'm living fulfilled. I'm, I'm celebrating fulfilled in every step that I take. That's the fourth cup. And sure, we're not going to be problem-free when we engage into this. In fact, they don't always happen just in sequence. Don't make a religion out of this. But as you engage in it, your problems might not all be gone, but you can also say, God, my life counts for something. God, there's meaning in my life. There's purpose. Even though everything is not resolved, I'm okay with even that because I'm on a journey with you and you're changing me and my life's becoming what you've called me to become. That would be what this is trying to convey, this fourth step. God still has this for you. He still has this concept, this, this fulfillment that he wants to work out in your life. And hear me, this is very important. 
Anything less than this is not his best. It's not God's best for you. He wants you to live this life where you wake up and you're like, I love life. I love what's happening. I love what I'm doing. Oh, Pastor, you don't know my job. Listen, when you finally sink into purpose and start doing things in a purposeful way, you can do actions that you might not be wild about, but you can love that you're doing them. You can love what you do. Exodus chapter 6, what does this all come from? I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. That was that fourth cup, the fourth step in the spiritual journey. I like that he says, I'll take you as my own people. You need family. You need your people. You need your church. You need your team, your place where you can go and you can belong. So he says, I'm going to take you as my people. And he says, I'm going to be your God. God steps into your life, and what does he do? He partners with you. He takes hand with you, and he says, I want to leverage who you are. I want to leverage the gifts that I put in you, and together we're going to do something great in this planet. You're going to be part of something bigger than you. And then, listen to me, only then will you find the meaning to life. What's the meaning to life, Pastor Joe? I'm talking about it this month. When you start to live out this final step of fulfillment, that's where you're going to get the meaning to life. Some of you, I'm all over your toes right now because you've prayed that in the last several weeks and I am stepping on you. Lean in. You can understand why you are on this planet, why God has you here. It's to do something great with him and to lead you and others to a spot of fulfillment. This is the concept in the Bible, the theological concept of a transcendent purpose. That's pretty big. Let me break it down. A, a purpose that transcends your natural life. In other words, you're doing things that are making an eternal impact that last beyond your life in this earth and in heaven. And it transcends anything that you could do just on your own. God's called you, and so you're going to make these actions of, of talking to somebody about their faith or serving here at the church that have spiritual dividends that transcend this natural world. Does that make sense? Because I don't want you all to say, like, Pastor Joe talked about transcendental meditation. It has nothing to do with that. This is a Christian theological concept. And it is of you becoming a person that understands my life is not my own. And so the actions that I do here, I need to leverage every step I take for something with purpose and meaning. Okay, write this down. This is massive. Ultimate fulfillment comes when you're part of a family and you're making a difference because God is on your side. That's, that's ultimate fulfillment. Like, man, I, I, I'm there. I'm in my sweet spot. I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's going to happen. That's going to line up for you when you're part of a family and you're making a difference and you know that God's fighting with you. That, that's where it's going to come from. And settle for nothing less. Listen to me. Nothing less for this. Because if you do, you won't have God's best for your life. Okay, three concepts that I want to pray for you. Number one, how do we do this, Pastor Joe? It all begins with calling. Write it down. This all begins with calling. This all begins with the fact that you are called by God. You need to realize, I'm a part of this. You need to have this realization that this is my thing. And that means ultimately, it cannot happen as God intended if you don't play with us. If we don't do this thing together, we need each and every one of you. You are all called into this. And when we don't have you as part of what we're doing, we're not better for doing it. We need all of us, all hands on deck. Well, Pastor Joe, you're the preacher. You know, we, we got you to be the preacher, so you go minister. Listen, that has nothing to do with what the Bible says a minister is. Christians are ministers, not me. I'm the preacher, sure. I'm coach, captain. I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to help lead the team. But ultimately, you're a minister. You know, in Western Michigan, I hear even preachers do this type of thing. And I went to Rusty Nail Baptist Church back when I was born. So I heard this type of thing. We'd have a prayer breakfast. And the guy would get up there and say, well, 20 years ago, I surrendered to the call. And they're saying it like, I gave up every fun and joyful thing that could be experienced in natural life. You know, No, the best thing that happened to me is when I started to serve God. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> And it's the same thing for you. Well, you're a pastor and I'm not. Well, aren't we observant? But listen, <laughs> I'm not saying that every one of you is called in the ministry, but you're probably not. You're probably, there might be a couple in here. Praise the Lord. I think that there is, but listen to me. Most of us aren't. And that's okay. You are still called. God has a calling on you. 
He has something for you to do. In fact, we need to start talking that way. You need to say to yourself, I'm called. I'm called. In fact, let's say it right now. One, two, three. That's true. And you need to realize that and settle that in your heart because although it might not be for full-time ministry, you have something to accomplish here on earth. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. God saved us. Wow, this is good. God saved us and called us to this holy work. God saved us. Say it with me. God saved us then called us. God saved us then called us to this holy work. So you're saved, right? Nobody in here would take any argument with that. No, we believe in salvation. Okay, you're called. You have a calling on your life, an appointment to do something great. We had nothing to do with it, the Bible says. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. So what does this all look like, this calling thing? Write it down. It looks like you just out of your heart saying, I want to make a difference. Write that down. It's you saying, I want to do this. I want to go make a difference. I I want to do something great. You know, when I see people really begin to stray, how, how should I approach this, God? A couple weeks ago, I spoke to you and I said, for many people, it's very important the next several weeks that you plug into church, you stay in community, because the next several weeks are going to determine so much for your life that you being connected now is really going to pay dividends later. That is so true. Here's what I found. When people stray, whether it's from church, in life, in marriage, here's the reason why. When people lose their why, people lose their way. Write that down. That's good. (laughs) When people lose their why, people lose their way. When you don't know why you're doing this job anymore, and you got sent home, and you're doing everything remote now, and you got your kid doing it remote, and you're just like, why are we doing this? Why Why is my son drifting? I can tell you why, and it's out of our hands. Wow. When you begin to drift away from it's because you lost why you're there. You lost why you're engaged in this thing. And my encouragement is this. I don't care what your job is, your call. You make that your why. I'm in this thing because God has a call on my church. God wants a church in this part of Grand Rapids. Amen? Amen, somebody. So, so it, it begins with a calling, and the number two, it stands on a cause. It stands on something. It begins with calling, but then it stands on a cause. And that is... To clarify, you're not just called to the guitar, you know, or, or to write a bestseller or to climb the mountaintop. All those things are great, uh, except for the mountaintop part. Like, I'm not doing that. But, like, like, the other things sound really neat, you know. But that's not your calling. God is more for you than just worldly accomplishment, human accomplishment. Your calling is to make that eternal difference in a word, a cause. Acts chapter 20. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. Stop for a second. Y'all look at me. Listen to how he even talks about his existence. That's kind of heavy, right? I'm going to use my life like it's a tool. Like I'm going to use this existence here and now. I'm going to stop cursing God and spitting on the ground because I was, I, I was born the year I was and I have to go through all this junk that we're going through. I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to use my life to actually make a difference. Wow. He says, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord. Here's what it is for everybody. Telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's that's what we're all on the same team doing. A lot of different ways to do it. A lot of different ways. A lot of different personalities and gifts and jobs represented in this room. But you all can leverage who you are to make that difference. And so (laughs) I think that it's very important that we leverage a season where even, even unbelievers feel like they need to be in church. You know, I was talking with Pastor Brian in between services. He said, we never went to church growing up, except for Christmas and Easter. Anybody else come from that family? Shame the devil, tell the truth, lift your hands. You're like, I got you. Even even unbelievers want to be able to tell their granny something when she calls on the phone from Florida, whether she's free. And and did you go to, yes, I went to church, you know. (laughs) Zing. Here's what I'm saying. If our calling on our life is to be people that leverage, our, to use our life, right, to be able to tell other people about Jesus, I think you ought to use a season where people are apt to come to church to do it. And that's why Easter's coming next week. Everybody, that's why we need to use it. Throw up that slide, guys. Easter is next week. Are you guys excited about Easter? That's pretty cool, right? I am. So, so Easter is, is next week, and um, 
God has our church on a, on a real journey, and so we're not the promotion ninjas that we used to be. I just think you need to be here. But um, next week is Easter. It's going to be phenomenal. And I would just say this. Bring somebody. Because everybody needs to go to church on Easter. And here's how you're going to know <laughs> who's a first-time visitor next week. Those with tattoos are probably pastoral staff, and those wearing a tie are probably first-time visitors. <laughs> I won't say that next week, but that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so sure, enjoy your life, but use your job, your family, your house, your money, and your talents, yes, for fun, but for more than that, leverage it to tell people about Jesus, to make that eternal difference, because you're really not doing anything until you're making an eternal difference. That's hard for some of you to say, because some of you are very accomplished people. Praise the Lord. You haven't done anything until you've done something of eternal value. <laughs> That's my, my spiritual gift coming out again. So what's my calling? I want to make a difference, right? We said, but write this down. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. Every November, they have these commercials that come on for Feed the Children, right? And, and they're, I mean, they're hard to watch. The kids got little puffy stomachs because they're starving. Their hair's turning blonde in Africa, you know? And, 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 and maybe you see those. Maybe you also see those ones about the, the, the pet shelters, and don't they show the ugliest, most gruesome-looking animals you've ever seen? You're like, and Betty White's crying somewhere, you know? And, and, and it's all, we've got to send money for the... You know, if you get emotional when you watch those commercials, that in and of itself does not make you a compassionate person. If you sent Feed the Children or the Puppies money, you're compassionate. So here's what I'm trying to say. You want to make a difference. I don't think it's hard to want to make a difference. I think if you're a Christian, you want to make a difference. I need you to get a rise, O oh Christian, and I need you to go do it, right? So we want to we make a difference, and I want to I make a difference doing something that makes a difference. I want to have the heart to do it, and I want to have the rear end to do it. I want to get out there and make something happen for the Lord. And the only thing that matters at the end of the day, hear me now, is things that are eternal. What's eternal? God and people. Heaven, God, the Bible, right? Eternity and people. And if your life isn't pointing in some way towards making that reconciliation point, friend, you're missing out on life. Because you can start really living your life and leveraging everything about your life. God's not calling you out to be crazy. I don't know why I'm saying this, but God uh, is bringing to my mind right now. Somebody came up to me one time, and they were a bartender. And they got born again. And they said, should I stop being a bartender? I said, when the Lord tells you. So I was getting ready to quit right away. And I said, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, stay within the calling wherewith you were called. So if you're in the bartender, why don't you learn to be a witness at the bar? Why don't you learn to be a witness in that? And God will move you on if you just hate working there for sure. But, but you, you trust God. You hear what I'm saying, everybody? So God can use you where you're at. I'm not, listen, this is not that church. We're like, okay, everybody quit your job. Let's all live in this room. Uh-uh. Like, I'm recovering from that isolation thing, okay? So <laughs> people in heaven, number three, how do we be fulfilled? we got to realize that it spreads from me to we. 50, 70 years ago, there was this great awakening in America in the evangelical churches. It was really amazing. And it was this awakening, awakening that God, yes, he wants to save you for eternity, but God is good. And people hadn't heard God is good in a long time. That God wants to bless you and take care of you and, and lead his kids and live life out. And so 50, 70 years ago, we had this great revival of it. Now in America, I mean, anybody, you go out there and ask anybody if God's good. Anybody. They'll say, yeah, God's good, you know. But sometimes that makes it so we forget about the eternal element. So hear me when I say this. It, it has to spread from me to we. It has to be something that you do experience. God wants to bless you, take care of you, do all, but he doesn't want it just to be for you. He wants to use who you are and your gifts and talents and blessings and your cool car, your fun toys or whatever. Leverage those things to be able to make the influence. It has to go from just being about yourself to being about other people. In other words, you just can't do it alone. It's impossible that you do it alone. Calling on your life is far too big for you even to try to do it alone. And so... My belief is that you can't really get into God's best until you find your tribe. You know one great thing about this last year or so? You can really tell where everybody's at, right? I don't, I don't know if they're, you know, if one of, you know now. <laughs> 
that's how it's going to be. I'm going to let you know. You know, like that's exactly how it was. We all know where we stand on things, don't we? We know our tribe. You need a team. You need a tribe. You need a people in a house. And God's best for you is going to be when you're connected. And that's why we actually even have the Go Team. Honestly, we could do church far more organic than this. We all just show up. But you need some place to serve. You need to go serving kids or serve at guest services or open doors or usher or be on the worship team. Let me tell you why. You need to begin to flex that muscle of faith by serving other people. And let me just say to the person that's like, oh, listen, I'll just give another five bucks or something. <laughs> it's not about that. Because God really doesn't even want your money. He wants your heart. Your time and your money will come if he has that. Let me just say something, sir. If you're unwilling to lead your family and be the person who serves, that faith muscle is built up while you're serving in a controlled atmosphere like this. We're in a bubble. This is a bubble. Every once in a while, we have a nut come in, and Kevin's got to go turn him inside out back, you know. But for the most part, it's a bunch of church kids, okay? Everybody smiles real nice, you know. If you can't serve here, it ain't happening at Meyer. It's not going to happen in your workplace. So we need you to build those muscles up for when your kid starts acting nuts, that you've got some faith muscles going. You can say, oh, listen, let me just tell you something. This is who we are. You need to get your kids plugged into the house of God. I'd love it if we had a whole bunch of middle schoolers out there opening the doors with everybody else. How do I join the team? You just join the team. So next week, come and open the door for somebody. I christen thee. But Pastor Joe, I've sinned. You have absolution, my son. <laughs> Go and do likewise. Or wait, that's not that part. Okay. You need your people. You need your tribe. You can tell this is my tribe because this is the only place my humor goes over. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. You know, the world right now has lost its ever-loving mind, and they want to tell you that two plus two equals five, yeah? And that is good. But it is theological that one plus one does not equal two. There's a multiplied impact when, when more than one person, more than one God follower, God chaser gets together and says, we're going to do something about this, that my generation's not going to go on my watch, that we're going to make an influence here. We're going to give like it matters. We're going to sow into people. We'll take on hell with a squirt gun. Are you with me? You hear that? You hear that? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. They can't hold us back. They can't hold us down. <laughs> I'm saving a seat for her. What's the calling? I want to make a difference. Doing something that makes a difference. With what? With people that make a difference. Throw that slide up there, guys. With people that make a difference. That's what it is. I want to, I want to do it. You don't have to cheerlead me into doing it. I want it. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with other people. I'm going to stop looking at people as my obstacle. I'm going to get on a team. Man, I'm a leader. I'm, I'm a big deal where I'm at. Awesome. Can you humble yourself just like Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet and put on a robe and just be a part of something? Well, they're not doing it right. Let me just assure you that we're not doing it right. <laughs> Amen? We're not. <laughs> We're figuring it out, but that's why we need you. And God is into towels, not into titles. So if you can humble yourself and be a part of a team and show heart in this thing, maybe we could get better at what we're doing because we need you. We need your gift. If you want to be at a church that you can just sit around at, not have to get up and do anything, you're really going to struggle here. We've had to do a playground out in back of the church. Uh, it's for the church, and it's also for the, the daycare and preschool pretty cool that we have the opportunity to do it, but you understand, putting in a playground behind a storefront in a strip mall sounds horrifying to most parents. <laughs> it, it, to me. And so we had to do fences a certain way to, to kind of block out the fact that you're in the back of a parking lot. And, and there's more to do. You can go back there and see the hard work that the guys did, but they, we're going to be rolling out AstroTurf back there. And I'm telling you, when you're in that playground, you will be in our world and, and we blocked it out from the outside world, not just with wood fences, but we got cement pylons. So some of the people that drive wild around here won't crash any of our kids. We also have armed people for that. Okay. 
This last week, Rick Mowski goes up to Pastor Brian and says, man, we really took some ground. Let me show you some of the things I want to do, and I want to level this out and be working on the gate and stuff like that. And Pastor Brian says, I just want to stop for a second and say, thank you, Rick. Thank you for your hard work. You did a great job, Rick. And listen, it wasn't just Rick. I'm missing so many people. Jim Gabor and, and your boys, Hunter, and, 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 and so many of you. I'm missing so many people. Yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. So many men. So many of the men of the church, we, we all put our hands together. But here's what I want to show you. Pastor Brian says, thank you to Rick Mouski. Rick's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. This, this is great. What? Pastor Brian told me, I said, what did he, did he say what for? Was it for the crook in his back that we gave him or for eating up all of his evenings for weeks? I mean, like, what did he thank us for? And here's what it is, guys. When you're doing something out of your heart, and you're doing something you know is for the Lord. It's it's effortless. You're just your heart goes into doing it. I'll build a fence. I'll sweep up the floor. I'll get one of those little defogger things and clean up the joint. I'll open the door. Like whatever. I'm in. My, my my life's not my own. I love God. And so you'll be at the spot of gratitude and thanks toward Him. And you you attend a church that's like that. You know that that ten percent, ten cents out of every dollar that comes in goes outside of these walls. It goes outside of our church doesn't influence us, goes to world missions, planning churches, to evangelists and missionaries. I'd say the roundabout, and it's more than this, but roundabout 40% of what comes in here goes outside of these doors in, in the um, lens of looking at outreach and trying to reach people that are far from God and serving people that are, that are disadvantaged and loving on people and setting up new outreaches. I mean, well more than that. That's the church that you go to. And so listen, if you're trying to find a place that you can sit down on your hands Buddy, I'm glad you're here because you need to be shaken up. Western Michigan needs to be shaken up. We did not start this Christianity thing sitting on our hands. We started it going into all the world. We started it taking whole cities and states and countries, and, and they would say, oh my gosh, the Christians are here. The ones that turn the world upside down are here also. You have a heritage in your faith of changing cultures, and I happen to believe that our culture is a good candidate for change. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. Are you? John 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Faithfulness is not showing up. Faithfulness is bearing fruit in your life. I've been there every Sunday. That's not faithful. That's showing up. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There it is. Some of you have been longing for that. That despite what's happening in the world, you'd have joy. That's what he has for you, but there's a way that he gives it. God has joy and a fulfillment in your life, but there's something that you got to do. Not to be saved. You're saved. If, if you accepted Christ, you're going to hell. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about fulfilled here and now. Because you can get saved and go to, go to heaven miserable and not experience the joy that he has for you today until you die. Don't live that brand of Christianity. You'll never be happy until you're doing something that makes a difference with a group of people that makes a difference. Now, God wants you fulfilled, and in closing, here's what I want to show you. Matthew 26. While they were eating, this is on Passover night, right? The four cups night. Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. Gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What? We just read that he drank it. Jesus drank the first three cups. The disciples drank all four, but he said, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of this vine. That's a very poetic way of saying I'm not going to drink the fourth cup. We will drink it, and we are going to drink it together in my Father's kingdom in heaven. What is he saying? Did you know that if Jesus would have drank that fourth cup, if he would have finished the act of salvation in its entirety, when he rose and ascended up into heaven after 40 days of being on earth, the disciples just have, would have gone right with him? It would have happened. Why? He didn't drink the fourth cup, and he didn't seal salvation for this reason. 
other people need to get born again. And over the course of two days in Bible times, 2,000 years in our time, what's happened is so many countless of people, billions of people have been saved. It's been amazing. And here's what he accepts. He accepts that we would even physically die, even though he already paid for your bodily resurrection. Why? Because when we drink the fourth cup with him in eternity, it will seal salvation and the age of grace will be done. You'll have your glorified body, but no one else can be saved. Very interesting, isn't it? So when you accept Christ, you are saved. But have you ever read in the Bible where it says, work out your salvation with fear and tremble? You ever read that? It's renewing your mind, becoming more like Jesus. So you are saved, but you're also being saved. But then if you read 1 Thessalonians, where it talks about the rapture of the church, the theological concept of rapture, here's what it says. Is it says that on that day you shall see your salvation, so you will be saved. Wait a second, I thought I am saved. You're on your way to heaven, but here when you're in the body here on earth, you're being saved. You're renewing your mind. You're living this thing out before God. You're, you're, you're walking out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then there will be a day when that trumpet will sound, everybody. And I'm telling you, the dead in Christ will rise first, and that day you will see yourself. You will be saved. Amen, somebody. Jesus is coming again. And so write this down. Jesus himself will drink his fourth cup with his people in heaven, and that will seal the deal on all of it. Well, we live in this life. We drank all four cups. The disciples came, so can we, which means we can live out fulfillment here and now. He will have his fulfillment when he has his bride. When are we going to drink the cup? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. One last scripture, and I'm going to pray for us. Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Can I put it this way? Don't miss the party. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for moving in this room, moving in people's lives, speaking to your kids. God, I thank you that you're speaking to your kids. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord's speaking to many of you right now about your calling, about your calling about what you're called to do. And, and you might have heard something. It's not audible, but you hear. More than that, you're seeing it right now. You see it, don't you? God, I thank you that you're ministering, calling to your kids.
bowed and eyes closed still, please, if you would. If you don't have a relationship with God, now's the time. Things are heating up, yeah? God made a way through his son, Jesus. God has one son. He sent him into the earth and he lived a sinless life, died on a cross with your name on it. And he made things new for those that would call him Lord. But that's not just poetry. It's you making him the boss over your life. It's you saying that you're not a great God over your life, but he's a great God. When you call Jesus Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. That's the first step in all of this. You get eternity in heaven. That joy and peace you're looking for can be found on the other end. So we're going to say this prayer. Those around you are going to be saying it as well. These people said it a long time ago, and they're saying it in support of you. They're saying it because they love the Lord. So church, pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I could be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This, I believe. So with my heart, And with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accept. Louder than that, New Chapel. Louder than that. Louder than that. I'm proud of you. (laughs) You're sitting around people that are proud of you. And let me tell you why. You just joined a family that actually gives a darn about your life, wants to stand beside you in prayer, and wants to make a difference in this community. Welcome home. We need to know about your decision, but I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front. There's public things like baptism, everybody. This is between you and Jesus. I get it. But if you could let me know, fill out that connection card. There's people who are first-timers. There's people who are going to be putting in prayer requests. And then there's you. If you accepted Christ, let me know about it. I want to know so I can be praying for you by name. But I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to send you a letter talking about next steps to take in your faith. God has that journey ready and waiting for you. You should be excited about it. We are for you. Church, one more time, loud and proud. Very cool. Wow. Stand up on your feet, guys. Man, what an exciting time to be alive, yeah? God's on the move. couple announcements after church today. Uh, again, it's Palm Sunday, so we're going to have some Palm Sundays. Ice cream's going to be out there. And especially if you're on the Go team, we encourage you, hang out with us. We're having an ice cream social. Talk about coming from Rusty Nail Community Church, everybody. Like, we got the ice cream out, and Jesus, it's going to be good. And so go back there. If you're not afraid of cooties, you can have as much ice cream as you want. And uh, But also, 15 minutes after I dismiss today, we're going to be having the second part of New Chapel Connect. Now, you can jump in anytime, but especially those who went to the first part of New Chapel Connect, today's the day for you. You're going to have plenty of time to get ice cream and come in here. I wasn't able to be with you last week unexpectedly, so this week I want to be able to shake your hand or wave at you and welcome you to the church. So make sure that you're part of that today. Baptisms are going to be on the week after Easter, April 11th. So if you haven't been baptized, jump in the water. God's asked big things of you. You're going to make a big difference in this world, but it's all going to start with you getting wet. And so if you haven't been baptized, we welcome you to do that. Good Friday is on this Friday at 7 o'clock, 60-minute service. Easter is this Sunday. And then finally, make sure that if you are on a go team, you go connect with Pastor Brian, get you some ice cream. Boy, I love you guys. Kyle, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for the people. We love you so much. We pray for you. We the best is yet to come. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, I'll see you this Friday. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.